Kia ora. it's Friday 18th of October 2019 and welcome to the t- Week in Tax. I'm Terry Boucher, Taxpert and Director of Boucher Consulting Limited, a tax consultancy helping optimise tax for small businesses, individuals with overseas investments and other professionals. This week I'm joined by Jeff Nightingale, tax partner at PwC and also a member of the last two working groups. Morena, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Terry. Excellent. Um, I'll begin by uh, asking, um, you've been on two tax working groups, so, so what was the difference between uh, this tax working group and the group chaired by Bob Buckle, um, which reported back in January 2010? Well, they were very different actually, Terry. Um, the, um, the 2009 working group was hosted by Victoria University, so it was independent of government. Um, although it was supported by a significant number of officials provided by Treasury and Inland Revenue. And the um, the 2018 tax review was a, a formal full government review. Um, so that was one big difference. But the other big difference was the, the diversity of the groups. So in 2009, we were really a, a bunch of um, middle-aged um, males um, who all knew something about tax. And so we had a common language and a, and a common um structure and framework to have our discussions and it was all very efficient but not very diverse and it was criticised at the time that being um, not diverse and inclusive and with hindsight that's absolutely right. The 2018 working group was by design <coughs> um, diverse, diverse politically, diverse in gender terms, diverse in experience and so we sort of had about half men, half women, about five of us were tax people and about five were from other disciplines such as economics, environmental, um, representatives of Māori and things. So it was a much more diverse group and it, and it represented New Zealand in a much better way and I think we got a better outcome because of that. Um, but it also meant that it took longer, that there was a transaction cost. We had to develop a shared language and, and a shared understanding about how we were going to go about our job. But yes, that's true. But you're also probably, the, your terms of reference, notwithstanding some very prescriptive areas were probably broader and in your approach was much, much broader than the uh, 2010 group. Yes, yes it was. And, and the 2010 group, we, we, we set our own terms of reference. When we got together, we decided what we would do. Um, in the 2018 group, the terms of reference were a political commitment and they were negotiated through a coalition government before they were issued. Um, but in the end, they were, they were very broad and, and they allowed us, apart from four very specific areas, not taxing the, the family home and the land underneath it being the main one, inheritance taxing another one. Um, but apart from those, they allowed us to do what was really a root and branch review of the tax system and, and, a, and lift our eyes above the horizon and look at, um, look globally at other types of tax systems and taxes. Yes. Um, and so, given the time frame in the past, you know, we work in this space, we may sometimes things happen without us really realising that the ground has shifted. I mean, what was for you the biggest surprise um, this time around? What's changed or is changing? Yeah, I think, I think surprise or, or, or more like new, new learning and realisation, I think, is... Um, the first thing was the um, the use of environmental taxes around the world, and New Zealand 
virtually has no environmental taxes. I mean, our what we would call and disclose as environmental taxes um, are transport levies and and fuel taxes, and they're really about revenue, not not the environment. Um, and when we looked globally, and, and we didn't really think about environmental taxes, we scoped them out in the last tax working group. So that was a new area. And when we looked globally at how integrated environmental taxes are to um, other Western economies, not just as a behavioural sort of response, but also as a revenue raising tool, um, that was a, a, a new area and was interesting, really interesting. And I think it will be a, a part of New Zealand in the future. And yes, the second, sorry. Carry on, sorry. Um, I was going to say the second thing that I think really came home to me this time was our deep reliance on the labour income tax base to, to drive our tax system and to drive our government, really. Um, and and, and in the labour in the broader sense, um, I think the economists will tell us that, that GST, while we, we you and I call it a consumption tax, they'd say it's a tax on labour because we, we tax the labour earnings when they're made and we tax the labour earnings when they're spent. So we're, we're, we're having to rely more and more on that labour income base um, because we've got very, you know, reasonably light touch on capital. And and I do worry about, I worry more now than I did 10 years ago about the sustainability of that as we go into the future, both from a sheer revenue perspective, but also from an equity perspective. Hello, Jeff. Yes. Uh, sorry, I thought I'd lost you there. So the equity and sustainability. So yeah. in other words, the sort of the issues that were sort of talked about um, around not our, our relatively low rate of uh, level of capital taxation, those aren't going to go away because sustainability of the tax system is going to become more of an issue yeah. in, in yeah. the near or, or longer term. Yes, that's right. And look, the working group, one thing the working group did find was the current tax system now and into the medium term, and I've described the medium term as maybe maybe three to five and out to 10 years even, is working really well. And it raises enough revenue for either government's set of policies. Um, it does so in a fairly non-distortionary way, apart from one obvious gap. Um, and it's got largely was a voluntary compliance and acceptance. Um, and you can see that it's worked well if you look at the surplus that was delivered a few few days ago um, for 19. But, but if you go out 10 to 20 years... Um, then I start to worry about the sustainability because of the changing demographics. Um, you know, more of us retiring. Um, you and I will be retired and we're going to live a long time and um, healthcare, national super, all of that sort of stuff. So, so I, do, I, I do think that in the long term, we will need to um, reshift the burden of taxation more into capital. Well, that's going to be very popular at that stage. Um, what was the biggest disappointment in in this uh, from this tax working group? Well, I, I, yeah, I think it's the obvious that we um, we did a, quite a bit of work um, on a capital gains tax, and we did by majority, not 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 a full consensus. We did by majority recommend one, and um, and it failed politically. Basically, um, I think that's probably the biggest disappointment because. I thought that it would have been useful. You know, I was realistic about whether or not um, this capital gains tax would get voted in or even be put in front of an electorate. We, we know what New Zealanders 
we New Zealanders have a particular um, aversion to capital gains tax. Um, but, but I thought that I thought that the design debate could have gone on longer so that we could have ironed out some of the undoubted problems satisfactorily, so that sometime again in the future when it's revisited, we would have had something closer to a consensus on what it would look like. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think, yeah, two things got compressed. The timing of them having to make the decision and design it all um, for discussion to go to and basically then be put to an electorate in next year. Um, just simply left very little time for really knotting out quite a few of the issues. Absolutely. And one of the things that we were clear on as a working group was that the timetable, if the government had proceeded, the timetable they were aiming for was too ambitious and they needed to give themselves another year or two. Mm. Um, there were some very complicated areas left undone in, in the bones of our design. The group actually, it's well known that the group split 8-3 on the question of comprehensive approach, but you were all unanimous um, in saying we need to increase the rate of taxation or the the level of property tax that is within the net. Sorry, that came out slightly. Yeah. Um, that was actually, you know, everyone I've spoken to who was on the group was is quite firm on that view, uh, that... This is, it's an undertaxed area. Yeah, well, I mean, the way I'd frame it up is I think there was a consensus on the group that in theory and in principle, capital gains should be taxed. Um, I don't think anyone disagreed with that, that capital gains are just economic income. And, yeah. and so everyone agreed with that. Where the group um, parted company into the eight three was as you move along the spectrum of easy to tax capital assets to hard to tax capital assets. As you move along each step of that spectrum, you've got to weigh up the, the benefit of taxing the capital assets, equity and efficiency versus the distortionary cost caused by the, by the rules to try and do it. And, and if at the easy end, taxing land really is pretty straightforward. Um, there was a consensus around that. But as you moved into classes of assets, business assets, shares, managed funds and everything, it got harder and harder. And the minority judged that once you got out of the land assets, um, the trade-off wasn't worth it, whereas the majority felt that you could explore at least some solutions in that. So it wasn't a split as such. It was just how far each of us was prepared to go. Just on land, one of the, the interesting differences to me um, for, from the 2010 Buckle Victoria University group is that that group made a recommendation for a land tax, but this time around, um, you walked away from that or did it support that? What prompted that change of approach? Yeah, that's a um, great question. And, and the blunt answer is politics. Um, so, so land taxes, uh, are, are quite efficient um, and um, easy to collect and they've got a lot of good things about them. Um, but in our terms of reference, we were unable to consider taxing the family home and the land that sat underneath it. And residential land is the most valuable by value land class in New Zealand. So as soon as you take that out of the land tax base, 
the the benefits of a land tax evaporate. It's no longer fair. Why is it fair to tax a farmer, not not my house in Parnell? Um, and and it's no longer efficient because it will distort um, land decision land use decisions. So so the minute the minute that political constraint came on, land tax was no longer viable. And New Zealand's also got another unique feature, and that is Māori land. Uh, um, it, it would be inequitable and and um, economically wrong too, probably to you know affix land tax onto certain classes of Māori land. Yes, uh, that was one of the other things that he named the reports um, going into exploring the um, Māori uh, issues was a, a big difference from any previous tax working group. Um, and I think um, we've talked about this separately is that that's an area where we're really only just starting to get into. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, thought was, I thought that was a great piece of work that the working group started. It was picked up um, by the Māori academic and, and um, policy people, but trying to incorporate into our policy analysis frameworks, not only traditional economic things plus the Treasury's living standards framework, but a uniquely New Zealand framework, Heara um, Waora, I think we, we called it or it became called, picking up Māori values and, and, and frameworks for thinking about life. Um, and and that, that work was used by us and it is ongoing and I think it, it will start to form part of public policy development in New Zealand more broadly. So I think that's a really interesting um, offshoot of the, of the working group. That's great to hear. I mean, I do think, you mentioned it previously, environmental, there was a lot of very good groundwork laid down by yourselves and, and, and the group. It's just a shame that sort of all that just got drowned out by the noise around capital gains. Um, yeah. I mean, cap- capital gains was, was a third of our work, um, but it was 90% of the media and politics, you know. Yeah. Um, the other two thirds of our work uh, is not wasted. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that we didn't explore as a country capital gains tax further. Now, I acknowledge all of the risks and concerns. They were all valid. But the other two thirds of our work is being explored in various ways, and um, some of it's on the work policy program now. Some of it's on the long term. Others, environmental taxes have been given to other government departments. Charities review. So there's a there's a really good body of work there. The officials' papers and the commissioned papers and things is a tremendous body of work that will inform policy making for you know a good ten years, I think. And so it's useful in that respect. That's that's that is actually always a great byproduct um, of of a tax working group. This sort of peripheral information that suddenly comes out and is available. It's an absolute treasure trove for nerds like me to dive into and have a good look around, poke around. You know, plenty of material. Um, just right now, you mentioned earlier that the government now is running a surplus. Um, and I suppose there's plenty of, spe- plenty of speculation about how it might utilize that surplus. What recommendations within the tax working group would you like to see it adopt in particular in there from the budget? Yeah. Well, look, my, my thinking's changed on this even since the working group, but the working group had a number of um, revenue negative um, recommendations, which we thought were good policy, things like restoring depreciation on buildings um, and, and some tweaks to, to KiwiSaver and tax rates and things like that. Um, 
all of those cost revenue. And you could do that with the surplus. But my thinking's moved on, and in and, and this I've been influenced heavily by Robin Oliver's thinking, one of the fellow working group members. But we really, he really worries, and I worry now, about the 30% tax rate, which kicks in at $48,000. That, that's a very high tax rate at a relatively low income. Um, it's 90% of our top marginal rate, and it kicks in at a, at a very low, you know, relatively low income, $48,000. It's, it's below year. average wage. It's, yeah. uh, and in fact, I think it's now below median wage. So um, it, it might, or might just be above that, but it's certainly it is a very low threshold. I totally agree. Yeah. And so at the moment, as we stand today, and particularly as we look at the economy, the rate of growth is slowing a bit. There is uh, major uncertainties in the global politics that could affect the global economies. Um, you know, our monetary policy lever is just about exhausted. Um, it's not going to change behaviour much more if, if interest rates go to zero or, or close there too. So that that leaves you thinking that um, fiscal stimulus might be a, a thing in the medium in the near term, and one way of doing that would be to do something around that 30% rate, um, spend a couple of billion dollars lifting that threshold, lowering that rate, combination of above that. And, and, and that would have the added benefit both of, I think, equity, um, increasing the progressivity of the system, but also put some money back into the economy. Yes, I, t- I, t- I totally agree. The, the thresholds issue, we don't change thresholds. That particular threshold, 48,000, hasn't been adjusted in 10 years. The 70,000 threshold hasn't been adjusted in 11 years. And so it's sort of the bracket creep, as we call it, is, is a real problem. So I, I, that would be one of my priorities to, to be addressed. Um, moving on to international tax, the group got quite a lot of f- public feedback on the taxation of multinationals, most of which was pretty derogatory of them. Well, not derogatory, but was critical. <laughs> yes. uh, and you, you um, floated the idea of, of maybe on, in certain circumstances, the government running with a digital services tax. Could you explain how such a tax might work or, and what's its risks for the wider business community? Because that was um, uh, of great uh, – I think the, the commentators were probably overlooking the, the downside. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think um, we we got a lot of submissions on the taxation of multinationals and, and the main – the overwhelming theme of them was this, this – that somehow multinationals are – uh, not paying their fair share of tax in New Zealand and taxes leaking out of New Zealand billions of dollars a year. And the working group had a pretty solid look at that. And the, the answer to that is that in the traditional multinational goods goods and services, um, after three waves of international tax reforms, we don't think that there is a big problem. We think, we think multinationals are now, traditional multinationals are now, um, you know, paying equivalent levels of taxation on the same activity to domestic businesses, and, and we don't think there's a big problem to solve anymore. On the other hand, we did identify that with these sort of weightless revenues, the digital economy, tax, that, that there is no tax or low levels of tax being paid. It's a problem right around the world, not just New Zealand. Um, and the, and the, the current international tax rules don't cope very well with it because they focus on physical location and the ownership of intangible property, and they just don't work for digital revenues. So we said the government should think about this because it, 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 it 
for, for both tax revenue, for economic efficiency, and for equity reasons, you know, we should attempt to tax the value being derived from New Zealand by those digital services. And our first ref recommendation was to be part of the multilateral OECD process. And then we said, if that doesn't look like succeeding or taking too long, then you might consider unilateral action, a digital services tax. But the working group put two big caveats on that. First, we said uh, uh, a majority of our trading partners would have to do that as well so that we're in good company because we're a small trade-exposed nation. And secondly, we'd have to be confident that it wouldn't cause any retaliatory action or damage to our export-led industry. And then in July, the government came out, well, in June, I think, with its digital services tax paper. Um, and, and I don't think they have yet met the threshold test that we set for them in the working group. I, I, you know, with, with China, US, Australia not doing the unilateral taxes, um, yes, they're becoming more common in Europe, but I don't think there's enough of a critical mass of countries moving that way. And secondly, I think there's real evidence that you can provoke retaliatory trade actions. So President Trump threatening France with wine tariffs because of, of the, their digital services tax is a classic example. Mm. Yes, yeah, so the um, so the multilateral approach, the OECD approach. Then we, everyone, in specialists, would have looked very closely at what happened um, in this what the last week when the OECD released what um, I referred to as potentially the biggest shakeup to international tax since the 1920s. Its formal title is a unified approach under Pillar One. But what's it all about? <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, well, look, it's a it's a very complex and theoretically pure um, idea to tax and share the tax on digital revenues amongst different countries. Um, and basically what it does is introduce a third pillar. So, so at the moment, the, the, the international tax regime looks at where your physical activity takes place and it looks at where you own your intellectual property. And those the location of those two things drives where most of the tax is levied. This approach introduces a third leg to that stall, which is to say we will think about where you have customers located who are creating value for your business, and that will be a third sort of pillar on which we might allocate taxing rights. Um, and that, that conceptually makes sense. The issue will be is how you get all the sovereign nations cooperating to share those revenues fairly. And again, um, New Zealand being a very small uh, nation on the world stage, that's got more downside risk for us than upside, I think. Mm. But um, the amazing thing is that this is all starting to, has actually moved quite a long way in a relatively short time. Um, and they're very ambitious, um, as I understand it. This, uh, they hope to get this, uh, pillar one proposal signed off by the G20 by, um, end of this year and have the actual detailed technical stuff all sorted out next year, which is phenomenally quick. Is that re realistically achievable? Yeah, it is very ambitious. Um, I, you know, I think it, it's just possible that it is achievable. Um, I was amazed. Uh, I was a big sceptic of the BEPS process. I just didn't think they'd get multilateral cooperation 
and get it all get it done like they have. But that's been a remarkable success looking backwards from an OECD OECD perspective. Um, and so I guess my scepticism ha- has reduced. They do seem to be able to um, to move and move effectively. One of the things. I think that's driving it is there's an assumption that the US will be opposed to all of this because they are the main owner of all the digital companies. But um, actually what we forget uh, and was reminded to me the other day by a US tax official is that the, the US is also one of the largest manufacturing export economies in the world. And that whole segment of US industry is deeply invested in preserving the current, you know, the integrity of the current multilateral international tax rules and therefore that that acts as a counterbalance to just protecting the digital companies so you know I, I think that there's there's a better chance than I would have thought that the OECD could pull this off by the end of next year that's, that's great I mean the other thing is even the Americans um, and their lobbyists they're not immune to the fact that the digital giants pay substantially less tax in the European Commission had an impact assessment and it noted that cross-border digital businesses paid an average tax rate of just 9.5%, whereas their traditional-based enterprises such as manufacturers are 23%. And so, as we know, the US is running a gigantic uh, trade uh, budget deficit, so it needs, um, it does need the tax. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It has a huge military to pay for. Um, so, yeah, this is quite encouraging. Uh, and it, it has moved quickly. It has been, from my viewpoint, and I'm not as immersed in this field as you are, it, I, I, it is surprising how quickly it's moved. And the next stage yeah. is sort of this pillar two. What's that? That seems even more ambitious. Yeah, well, p- pillar two is the OECD's idea of a sort of a minimum tax um, that, you know, multinational groups should face a minimum tax um, on their global um, enterprises and global profits, and then that minimum tax should be shared out in some fashion um, through certain rules. And and, and that's to address that gap, that tax gap between the 9.3 and the 27 or 23 that you just said before. Um, And, you know, it's it's to remove... in policy terms, it's to remove the incentive to migrate um, profits out of high-tax jurisdictions and into low-tax jurisdictions, or if that does occur, it's to at least recapture some of that. And that does feel even more ambitious, perhaps, than a multilateral consensus on, on Pillar 1 on the on the unified approach. It's a sort of almost like a step towards we're going to have a global corporate tax rate. Um, could that work? Could that actually be cut across and we just simply say tax havens are verboten, you know, that's it. You, they're, they're with privileges are withdrawn. Um, yeah, I mean, in the perfect world, you would um, agree a corporate tax rate consistent uh, across the, you know, across the trading world and you would assess it on a consistent basis at a consolidated level and then you'd parcel out the, the revenue raised, um, on some, using some allocation key across the countries. Um, but I just can't ever see that happening. It, you know, it's too much sovereign rights for a country to give up their, their rate yeah. of tax, their, their, the design of tax. Um, 
I remember when we, in recommendation 13, I think it was of the previous working group, um, was that some that tax policy come out of Parliament and go into an independent kind of body like the Reserve Bank so that it wasn't subject to politics. And the politicians just laughed and said, we're never going to give that lever up. That's, that's what gets us elected. So I just couldn't, you know, and the world's going more nationalistic and, and less less globalised at the moment. So I think, I don't think I'm, that would ever happen, Terry. Yes. Oh, well. One can dream. Um, well, I, I think that's about all we've got time for, Jeff. But what's next for you? Would you be up for a third tax working group? <laughs> I might be, but I'm not sure PwC would be that enthusiastic. <laughs> These things are highly time intensive um, and uh, and sensitive at times too. Yes. But, um, yeah, no, look, I, I intend to stay, you know, keenly involved in tax policy through the firm. Um, we, you know, we, we work closely within land revenue policy on developing tax policies, submitting and working with them, trying to iron out the problems and make sure that they work in practice. Um, and I'm part of a team here that does that. So that'll, that'll keep me involved. And I'd like to see through some of the, you know, the things like the feasibility and loss continuity stuff that was announced in the last couple of days out of the last couple of weeks out of the working group. I'd like to see that, see that through to fruition. That would be good. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep, keep involved. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure you will be. Well, that's it for the Week in Tax. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's been a privilege to have you on board uh, for this episode. Um, I'm Terry Boucher, and you can find this podcast on my website, www.boucher.tax, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send me your feedback and your tell your friends and clients. Until next time, have a great week. Ka kite anō.